Hi, this is Pastor John. Welcome to the Consumed Church Weekly Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message entitled, First Love. For any further information about this message or the ministries of Consumed Church, you can check us out at theconsumedchurch.com. Blessing it is to have moments like this where the Spirit of the Living God just shows up in the room and ministers to us so so sweetly. It's like, Lord, if I don't get this right, you've already got this right. <laughs> to all the mothers in the room, I just want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. I'm aware that it's Mother's Day. And I'm going to talk about mamas a little bit. Uh, but the subject matter that I felt like the Holy Spirit imposed upon me this week was the love of God in Christ Jesus. And boy, it was just so manifest. It was like tangible, like you could cut it with a knife as we <laughs> sang that precious name of Yeshua, our deliverer, our rescuer, uh, our beloved. Fairer than 10,000. I'm going to try to do this, okay? (laughs) I want to talk about first love. Margie brought up the subject matter of first love, and that's the title of the message is First Love. And I'm going to be teaching a series soon um, about eschatology called Sign of the Times. And so this is kind of a precursor. I wasn't sure whether to make this number one in the series or not, but... um, you know, our eschatology, so our understanding of the end times, if you will. It seems like the church has wrestled with that and kicked that around quite a bit, at least in my generation. And um, I think that most of that is how we interpret and look at the book of Revelation. Most of the way we see it is through the lens of the book of Revelation. That, that just is right up in your forefront. So today, uh, the subject of first love is from the book of Revelation, uh, chapter 2. Subtitle is to love like your mama. Mamas will really understand this subject matter. Revelation chapter 2, the very first verse, says, to the angel of the church in Ephesus. I want to talk a minute about Ephesus and actually read you a little commentary about Ephesus. I know that every time I teach on the book of Revelation, I start with, well, you start with the exalted Christ. And I think it's important that in that culture that the church was birthed into, with all of the gods of Greek and of Rome, that it was very important to lay down the foundation, a revelation of who Jesus is. If I was to go and to show you a study of the other gods, they claimed these great Uh, titles and these great positions but he is the king of king and and the lord of lords he's the alpha and the omega he's the one that started it all and he's the one that will finish it all and he's revealed as the exalted christ with eyes like fire and his hair like white as wool and 
his voice like many waters. So you get that, how the book Revelation starts out with this, this impression of who Yeshua really is. This powerful, amazing, loving God. And then chapter 2 starts with his address to the churches of Asia. Seven churches in Asia. And I know that some people's eschatology uh, have done some different things with what that means. Uh, But it literally was to specific people, to the people in Ephesus. So I just wanted to start with a little bit about Ephesus. And the things that were going on in Ephesus that the church needed encouragement about there. So Ephesus was the most important city of proconsular Asia, situated at the mouth of the Chiasta River on a gulf of the Aegean Sea. It flourished as an important commercial and export center for Asia. The traveler from Rome landing at Ephesus would proceed up a magnificent avenue, 35 feet wide and lined with columns that led to the harbor, from the harbor to the center of the city. Ephesus was part of the kingdom of Pergamum, which Attalus III bequeathed to Rome in 133 BC. By New Testament times, it had grown to more than a quarter of a million in population. Its commercial importance was heightened by the fact that three great trade routes converged at the city, from the Euphrates by the way of Colossae, from Galatia through Sardis, and from the Meander Valley to uh, south and the east. Although Ephesus was not the titular capital of Asia, that was Pergamum, it was a city of great political importance. As a free city, it had been granted by Rome the right of self-government. It also served as an assize city in which the Roman governor on a regular schedule tried important cases and dispensed justice. It boasted a, a major stadium, a marketplace, and a theater. The theater was built on the west slope of Mount Pion, overlooking the harbor and seated 25,000 people. The imperial cult was not neglected in Ephesus. When I say imperial cult, that's emperor worship. Temples were built to the emperors, Claudius, Hadrian, and Severus. I said his name right. The major religious attraction, however, was the temple of Artemis. Some of you may have heard of this, the uh, goddess Diana worship, as you see in the book of Acts. But Diana is a Latin name for Artemis. One of the seven wonders of the ancient world, this temple was, about four times the size of the Parthian, Parthenon. It was adorned uh, by the work of many great artists. <clears throat> After a devastating fire in 356 BC that destroyed the first temple, it was rebuilt. Pliny the Elder gives the dimensions of the temple as 425 feet long, 220 feet wide, and 60 feet high. So think like Jerry Jones. He also notes that the 127 pillars were of uh, Parian marble, with 36 of them overlaid with gold and jewels. Artemis herself was originally an Anatolian Anatolian fertility goddess, but under the influence of Greek culture, she had become the focus of an extensive religious cult. The Christian faith came to Ephesus, perhaps with Aquila and Priscilla, about 52 AD. When Paul left them there en route to Corinth, uh, from Corinth to Antioch, on his next missionary journey, 
The apostle remained in Ephesus for more than two years, and some time later, Timothy ministered there. But it was the apostle John, however, who is most closely associated with the city. And so I've studied Ephesus before, and usually when I study Ephesus in that day, it kind of makes me throw up in my mouth a little bit. Just the, the opulence, the freedom that they had. And it's amazing to me that with political freedom, uh, the things that mankind has always chosen to do with our freedom... And uh, so they had goddess worship that was going on there. They had emperor worship. There was even a god called Dionysius, which I was studying a little bit about that god, uh, that today we call that the, the god of postmodernism. I don't have time to go into that today, but um, you know those spirits still seek to gain influence, even in our culture today. But so this letter that's written to the church of Ephesus was written to real people, that were real believers that were in a real place and pressured. So let's go to the word. The Revelation 2, starting verse 1, to the angel of the church at Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. And there's, there's the verse that I'm keying in today on. Um, and don't hear this as like some sort of a rebuke that I'm turning around on the church. It's actually not. We're here to study what was going on actually in Ephesus at the time. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. This is ESV in, in the King James Version, in New King James. It says you've left, left your first love. And oftentimes... Uh, You've heard that preached that the emphasis there is that we have, instead of loving Christ as our first love, the one who opened our eyes, which is absolutely a true thing, we've started loving other things, or in this case, that we would love other things more than God, so we need to get back to loving him more so that we can endure. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. I want to talk just a minute about this idea of resistance. You know, because I believe that the Lord, uh, that's a word for not just our church, but the church in general this year. And you've heard me speak about this before, but he's giving us an overcomer's crown, and that is for enduring, and there's something about the last seasons that we've walked through that's just been like the gauntlet, has it not, of just having to endure and press in in faith, and the Lord says, I'm so proud of you, You're, you're doing it, you're making it, and it's just such an encouragement for us, but you know, as with the Church here in Ephesus, we can look at what happens when you're surrounded by such a godless culture. 
is that the resistance that the Lord has actually called us to uh, often calluses and makes us hard. And he's challenging them not to get back to loving Jesus more than we love stuff, because that's not really what it's talking about, but to love as the first priority, that love is the foundation that agape, I'm going to get into that in a minute, but agape is the foundation at which the Christian life and the Christian way of life, uh, our salvation, our relationship to him is all based in that. And what can happen as we resist what happened with the Ephesians, as they resisted, uh, they were infiltrated by these other religious movements. And it's so easy to let your guard down because of culture that is around you, pushing on you at all times, affecting your lifestyle, affecting your, uh, your businesses and the way that you uh, operate in your community to get you to let your guard down. And that would be those false apostles that you've actually, you know, that the Lord was giving a A plus because he, he spoke of the deeds of the Nicolaitans and the Nicolaitans were known for actually convincing Christians that the culture outside was okay to mix with Christianity, that those practices are okay. Much of the foreign gods, and we're talking from all the way back, foreign gods have always wanted to influence mankind at its very core, where we have this amazing gift from God to procreate, to create life. And it's intended to be done in the presence of God with him, this eros love that is experienced between a man and woman that are married together and commit their lives together, that that eros and agape are actually connected together. Eros is another Greek word for love. And other gods always want to, because they're not really gods, they're just spirit beings that have rebelled against the, the creator God that created them, always want to usurp and gain that power. And so they get involved if they can get us to partner with them. They've always done that. And so all of those other, uh, all of those other practices, religious practices, involved gross stuff that was all about immorality. I mean, I don't know if you know that or not, but I mean, uh, you know, the fertility gods of, 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 Greece, of Greece, the Artemis, they just, like, I don't even want to talk about it, but you could study it, and it's just as depraved as stuff that we see today. It's so funny, if you start looking into some of that, a lot of the movies that kids are attracted to today with Marvel Comics and DC Comics and all that, and these superheroes are actually telling the stories of some other god, you know, and so anyways, uh, there is this need and desire for the body of Christ to go, whoa, not over here. We serve the God of Israel, manifested in the person and fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ, and now alive inside of us through the Holy Spirit. That's, that's our zone. But in doing so, it, we could get callous to the point that we forget that all of it is based on the love of God that is the nucleus, it's the nuclear power plant, so to speak, of what makes it all work. It's Jesus' love. So often, that resistance needs a reset. And that's basically what he's saying to the church in Ephesus. And it's, uh, I think it's no coincidence that he writes this letter. This is the first of seven churches. And then at the end of the address to the churches, he says, let, uh, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So it's actually to every church. 
every church of all time, that it's something that we can learn from. But it was specifically written to them. There's not, to me, some sort of hidden prophetic meaning behind it. It's actually direct instruction to people that actually lived and actually walked through this. But we can take, we can take heart and, and learn from that. But yeah, the, the verse 4, the wording, you've abandoned the love that you had at first. Having walked away from intimacy uh, with Jesus, first love. Uh, my notes are killing me. So before John wrote this to the Ephesians, Paul had, as I read earlier, Paul had an influence there. Uh, left Priscilla and Aquila there as missionaries, and they were actually business people. God's doing some new stuff in the church, y'all. And it's the stuff that he's doing is old stuff, but he's, he's taking ground and raising up marketplace leaders. You realize that the, that the city of Ephesus and even Asia was impacted by marketplace ministry, Priscilla and Aquila. But this is what Paul, as he would visit, this is what Paul says in Ephesians. The book is written directly to them. Chapter 5, when he talks about love. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. I love watching Matthew Pallant and his kids. Zoe, she sets up chairs and puts on her teddy bears and stuff in the semicircle at the house and gets out a fake microphone and preaches the gospel to him. And the word is here, Paul tells the Ephesians, be imitators of God as dear children. There's this sweetness that we walk in that looks just like God himself. Verse 2 says, and walk in love. That, that love is the agape word. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And I want to key in on this giving himself up that is agape. There's a difference in the, the four loves. Y'all have probably heard this before, some of you, but the, the four Greek words for love. So you have agape, which is the unconditional self-giving love of God. And most of things that we read uh, in scripture that gets really good is talking about the agape love of God. And then there's phileo love. You know, you think about after Christ had risen and he was confronting Peter after Peter had denied him and he says to Peter, hey, Peter, do you agape me more than the rest of these? And Peter says, oh, Lord, yeah, you know I, you know I phileo you. Phileo means like kindly affectionate towards you know, there's the, the, the world is okay with a kindly affectionate towards. Like, we can kind of get our foot over there, especially because of looking inward to ourselves and going, that's about all I can give. You know, but as you know how the story goes, that he asked him three times. And Peter was grieved. Jesus wound up saying, Peter, do you even phileo me? He said, Lord, you, you know everything you know that I phileo you. But he couldn't bring himself to say, yeah, I, I agape you. And then the Lord goes on to predict, well, guess what's going to happen? You know, you agape me is going to cost you. And as you know, Peter was martyred on a cross upside down because he said, I wasn't worthy to suffer the same way as Jesus did. 
But the agape love of God is this giving love of God, this giving away of yourself. And so as we look at this address to the Ephesians uh, in the book of Revelation, you see the tension between endurance because it's necessary, right? He's not saying to be a complete doormat. That's, that's not what the Lord's saying. There, there's this standing up to the unrighteous and going, now that's not right. But at the same time, embracing them with the agape love of God. So it's like being soft and yet confrontational at the same time. Loving them unconditionally. There's no way that we can do this other than the presence of Yeshua himself living inside of you doing that. And this is the greatest treasure that we can discover that we already possess. So it's so important for us to just get, like we did a few minutes ago, to get into a posture of receiving and just beholding the love of God in Christ Jesus, to actually take a minute, like I said at Easter, to look at the cross, to behold that and go, no, he, I did that to him and he did that for me. There's no greater acape than this that one would lay down his life for his friends. But Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Because we're on Mother's Day and we talk about those that go before us that we imitate. Moms know what it's like to have unconditional love, to show unconditional love. Oftentimes, we need no, look no further for an example than to look at mom. He says, but then to walk in love, to walk in agape. Doing this means to actually embody it yourself. Just as Christ loved us, as he agaped us, and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The unconditional love. Love like your mom. Love like mom. His love has transformed us into lovers. But legitimate intimacy with Christ actually trans us into, transforms us into the Christ kind of love, agape love. So, so often we may be like, oh, I love the Lord, I love the Lord. But if there's not any outflow of what he's poured in, it's... It's some other kind of an experience. We're not quite getting there yet. And this isn't to make anybody feel guilty. Uh, it's only done in and through the person of him, of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. Christ defines love. The world defines love as eros. You know, you hear it out in the world. They, they try to tell Christians how we should be and they say you should just let everybody be everybody should just be able to be free to just love whatever they want but they're really getting a mixture between eros and the weird things they do with that and the phileo like let's all just be accepting of whatever anybody wants to eros and yet that's not the game that the lord has called us into it's not it's he's called us to agape Everywhere it matters, he says to Agape. See, the power of the cross, the self-donation, is the only thing that will counter and defeat. It's the thing that defeats evil. 
It's the only thing that will defeat evil. It's the only thing that will change the world. I really think, and this is hard to talk about, but I really think that most of the brokenness in the world, because that is the answer. And as heaven touches earth, as we, as we sing, heaven come, let heaven come. You guys don't realize how theologically correct that is to sing that. Because at the end of the book, heaven comes down and heaven and earth once or again are the same place at the same time. Like it was in the garden or in the temple, in the tabernacle, in the person of Jesus, and now inside you and me. I'll let you just chew on that for a minute. But self-giving love is the answer. Self-donation is the answer that overcomes the world through the love of Jesus because it's fully manifested in him in the cross. The problem with it is is that it's usually dumped on women. Women are always taken care of. They're forced to do the unconditional. I'm I'm not going to say that all, all the unconditional love is forced. It's just that they don't have a choice, and that's mostly why we see the problems that we see in the world today. My body, my choice. Don't you be putting that on me. I see what that looks like. Because self-giving love is often not reciprocated, but it's faced with brutality and exploitation. It's like when you give it, it seems like it can never be enough to the point of being completely crushed. So many women, they give so much that they lose their sense of identity. They don't even know who they are anymore because they live for their kids and they live for their husband and they live for others. So I honor you moms. Bless you today for showing us the way. And I just even think about all the disciples of Jesus, you know, the ones that screwed up for all the guys. <laughs> the, the women were actually faithful. Uh, If, if we could get this, and, and don't get me wrong, if you had a mother that was mean, I get it. You know, fathers are actually called to do the same thing, to lay down their lives. Brothers, sisters, we're all called in Christ to lay down our life for one another. And so we'll talk about that in just a minute. If you had a mother that, that didn't match up with that, no mother's perfect, okay? My mother was awesome, but... You hurt me too. But Christ, he's perfect, and his love for us is perfect, and he's given everything to us. But even the things that we see in our culture today with people being confused about gender, all of it boils back to the fact that don't tell me that I've got to be that way because I'd have to give myself away. And that looks really ugly. I want to live for me. So like in Ephesus in the church, if we slid downward into, downward into a posture of correcting doctrine and suspicion, you know, we can, we can get that way. I don't think any of y'all are like that, but I think that there's a, can be a spirit in the church where we're so worried about the outside world getting on us that we're actually condemning the world. Not our job to condemn the world. 
or that the authority that we've begin in, that we've been given in Christ is according to the way that the world works authority. It's actually not. The authority that we have in Christ is the ultimate authority that's found in giving yourself away. It conquers everything. So I had three R's, right? I had the resistance, the reset, and then we're called to re- reenact, reenact the cross. So I want to talk about forgiveness. And you've probably heard this said before about forgiveness, that forgiveness is giving before. F-O-R-E dash, giveness. And this is the self-giving love that moms know all, all too well. It's funny to watch your kids grow up, like they really appreciate you at first. Well, maybe not when they're first born. They just have their needs. But then when they're, you know, first couple of years, four or five years old, uh, kids usually seem to be like, oh, your parents, the parents, you know, hung the moon. Uh, and then they get older, but it seems like uh, they don't really appreciate everything that mom does, and yet mom just keeps on giving. Because mom knows that she's pouring into that life, that she's sending them out into their, to their great future, and that one day they'll turn around and go, oh, wow. Some kids sooner than others. But if you're a mom today that has been underappreciated, I just say thank you to you for laying down your life. Like the glory of God rests on you. I was really surprised, you know, this last week we had the National Day of Prayer and we got together with four churches uh, on Precinct Line Road to to pray, and you all might have seen my video, I talked about it, but um, it really surprised me the impact it had on me personally. Um, I was getting all these ideas about how to do it better next time. But what I discovered uh, was that what we do here on Saturdays, it's no different. We get in the presence of the Lord, we, we do the Lord's uh, model prayer where he taught his disciples how to pray. So pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. We hallow the name of the Lord. We spend time actually doing, beholding him. And because of our uh, understanding of his revealed nature and character in his word, the more you read the word, the more you'll understand his nature and character. Then you express that back to him. And in that, you're all of my flesh and all of the culture and all of the world and this priorities and pressures that are on me begin to fade away because I am now exalting him and seeing ultimately who he really is and what he's all about. And when I find myself doing that, bloop, now before the throne I can see right. And when I'm there, I don't have all these things that I think I want to pray about. That goes by the wayside. Instead, you're conversing with the king. And then the Holy Spirit begins to pray through you, right? Because Jesus said, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Before we ever get into the give us our daily bread stuff, we spend time just praying whatever the Lord wants to pray. I said all that to say that that's normal. What I've discovered, I'm going to tell you that's a prayer service. Uh, we've made it like it's, it's um, just an add-on, but I think it's just as big and powerful as what we do here on Sundays, without a doubt. It's a prayer service. And it's different than just coming in burdened up with all these problems. Instead, 
There's no, there's no burden other than the burden of the Holy Spirit, and you're, you're, you're channeling the heart of the Lord, uh, if that's the right word, right way to say it. He's praying through you. And what I've discovered is we pray for things like, well, obviously pray for all of you, but not necessarily by name unless the Holy Spirit says it. We pray for marriages. We pray for uh, young adults. We pray for uh, children of certain ages. We pray for uh, the culture in which they're in, and we pray for our cities, and we pray for other churches, and we pray for uh, pastors and ministry leaders and governors and mayors. and all. It's just whatever, but I've noticed that it's just so packed with the Lord's heart of love and grace towards them uh, that it's not work at all. As a matter of fact, it's like a delight. I, I, it's, you just have to do it to understand. And more of it is not like, oh, God, would you please? None of it's like that. It's we declare because we can see what God sees, and we speak it into existence. We declare blessing and favor and goodness in your life, that the grace of God would overwhelm you. So here we are Thursday. And we get started, we have a sign out that says, drive through prayer. There's thousands of cars drive by here every day. Drive through prayer. And we got, I don't know, six, eight folks here to pray that, you know, we're able to either be retired or not off work or whatever. And uh, we had our sign out and, you know, it's sitting there about a half an hour and nobody's pulling in. And I uh, said, okay, well, you know what? We do this all the time. We do it every Saturday. It's no different. So just underneath the portico there, we just, I just start, let's go, let's go, let's do this. So we just start exalting the Lord, finding ourselves in the presence of the Holy Spirit, start doing it. And the Lord's like, you need to go out there. So me and Margie and Dave and some others, but we first, we went out to the sidewalk. And y'all, there's no shoulder out there. These cars are flying by like two foot from you. I mean, I can see them in the eye as good as I could see Brad. In the love of God, the Holy Spirit, I discovered he's not just in these four walls. He like showed up in power. I was like, pushing it out into the street. And I could see eyeball after eyeball looking me right in the eye. And we were just full of the love of God, like smiling at them. I mean, we need a revolution in the way that we evangelize. God so loved the world that he gave the forgiveness of God, the unconditional love of God. He doesn't need a prerequisite for them. So I found myself just like waving at him and going, Jesus loves you, God loves you, God bless you, I bless your families, I bless you. I mean, for hours, so I was about horse standing out there and people, wham, you could see people just light up. Not everybody, but I'd say 70% of the people that drove by after we kind of got into that mode began to respond, honking at us and waving and all that. We only had four cars pull through that, like, you know, pull in and get some prayer. But the church up the street, when we met with them later, they said that 11 cars pulled through theirs, and they were all coming this direction. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit was, was working on them. And I, I just, I would, but this thing that shocked me was just how, you know, when I was younger, I, I would go to Mardi Gras, and I got a bullhorn, and I'm like, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not what I say? My message has changed. It's like, that's not the enemy. People are not the enemy. They've been subject to the enemy. But they need to hear, God loves you, and I bless you in the name of Jesus to discover 
the lover of your soul. I bless you to have your finances come to life, that your bodies would be healed, that the brokenness in your families would come around and be, you'd have breakthrough everywhere in your life. I mean, that's the love of God in Christ Jesus. And it's going to take some of us getting outside of ourselves and just being willing to allow the man on, side, on the inside of us that's doing this to just hang there. So, He's in there. That's what he wants to do. John 13, verse 34 says, A new commandment I give to you. Jesus talking to his disciples. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. A new commandment I give to you, that you agape. Don't phileo one another. Don't just be kindly affectionate to one another. Give your lives to each other. By this, this is how people are going to know that you're my disciples. If you agape each other. There's no back road way. There's no plan B. This is the way it works. It's been so rejected because people take advantage of it. Reading a book by Miroslav Volf called Exclusion and Embrace. And I'm, I can't hardly get through it because it's so deep and thick. And he's dealing with this subject. But the exclusion is the like being able to say, no, that's wrong. And yet at the same time, remain pliable and manifest the love of God, the unconditional love of God. So I remember years ago teaching about what back then I called the love triangle or the, I don't know if that even sounds good, but this synergy of love of God that can't be broken, the love between Christ and us and others, that that's how it works. It's from 1 John. Anybody like the book of 1 John? It can be greatly misunderstood. People, people try to figure out their salvation in that book and lose their mind. But, uh, <laughs> but 1 John chapter 4, in verse 7, says this, Beloved, let us love one another. Let us agape one another. For agape is from God. And whoever agapes has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not agape does not know God, because God is agape. And this, the agape of God, was made manifest among us. This is how we know. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. That's, that's the life of God. The life of Christ is actually allowing him to agape the world through you. We're called to mother the world. In this is agape, not that we have agaped God, but that he agaped us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so agaped us, we also ought to agape one another. No one has ever seen God. But if, it doesn't say but, but it might as well. If we agape one another, God abides in us and his 
Love, his agape, is perfected in us. In other words, nobody's seen God, but they're going to see him if we actually agape each other. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he is freely uh, because he has given us of his spirit. Do you see that it's the work of the Holy Spirit inside of us? Now, we can have a lot of fun with the Holy Spirit, but what he's really up to is the nucleus of the agape of God deep down inside of you. The Holy Spirit, as we discovered through praying what he wants to pray, is in love with humanity. And he loves them unconditionally, not like we do, like, well, if you were to do that right or say that right, you know, or if you just kind of clean that up, I'd be willing to help you. It's not like that. No, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. People that hate him. I was so ungodly. Me too. Christ died for us. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. And he and God. So we have come to know and believe that the agape that God has for us, God is agape, and whoever abides in agape abides in God, and God abides in him. Verse 17. By this agape perfected, uh, by this agape perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. My youth pastors used to say it like this in my discipleship class, that assurance of salvation is that you can't keep it under a, a basket. You can't keep it under wraps. You got to share it with somebody. And according to this right here, it's saying that's how we know that we're alive in God, that we'll have confidence before him, is that the spirit of God actually manifesting itself in unconditional love for others gives us confidence in knowing, yep, that's God, because I don't have it. You know you don't have it, but you have it because he's in you. There's no fear in agape, but perfect agape casts out fear. Or fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in agape. We agape because he first agaped us. If anyone says, I agape God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He who does not agape his brother whom he has seen cannot possibly agape God whom he hasn't seen. In this commandment we have from him, whoever agapes God may, must also uh, agape his brother. That's sobering. But the exciting thing about that is, in our flesh, when we try to do it in our flesh, it seems like an impossible task. It's intimidating. There is nothing more sweet, more precious, more powerful than we allow, when we allow the Son of God to manifest himself in our, the word become flesh us to love others the way he, he loves us. It's the only thing that's going to heal our culture is for us to actually embrace our role as the church. Uh, you're not just doing it to be a doormat. You're doing it to allow him to live through you. That's it. 
So on this subject of forgiveness, giving first, even when it's hard and when it hurts. Thank you for listening to the Consumed Church weekly podcast. This entire service and others can be viewed on our Facebook and YouTube channels. If you would like to partner with us in raising the next generation of kingdom bringers, you can do so at theconsumedchurch.com slash give.